Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. How many of you have ever had a bad day like that before? Anybody? Anybody have a bad day? Uh, I'm super excited. This morning we're going to begin a brand new series called Meaningful Life. And uh, we're looking forward to learning from God's Word what it means to live a meaningful life. And uh, if you have a Bible today, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter number 1. Ecclesiastes chapter number 1. And uh, before we get into the message today, what an amazing week we had last week. And uh, God showed up and did a miracle in our midst. And I just feel like pausing and praising God that we had 18 people pray to accept Christ last week. God, come on, we can do better than that. 18 people, now the home in heaven, eternity settled forever. That's worth praising Jesus about. And uh, so thankful for uh, all of our teams and all of your hard work going into last week and just uh, showing up and bringing excellence uh, every step of the way. So thank you so much for serving, and I believe that we made an impact on eternity, and uh, looking forward to doing more of the same. Ecclesiastes chapter number one today is where we're going to be, and uh, we're starting a brand new series called Meaningful Life, and uh, we're going to be exploring the idea of finding purpose for our lives and meaning for our lives. And this morning I want to bring a message that I've entitled Chasing the Wind. Everybody say Chasing the Wind. Ecclesiastes chapter number one is uh, where we're going to be. And we'll start reading in verse number one. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? If you're not sure where Ecclesiastes is, right in the middle of, the, middle of your Bible, there's Psalms and Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes, and, and hopefully that helps. And if not, we have a really big Bible on the screen today. We'll have the verses up there. Ecclesiastes chapter number one, verse number one, the Bible says this, the words of the preacher, everybody say the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to the place where he arose. And the wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north, and it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. And all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full unto the place where whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied. Everybody say, not satisfied. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing which, the thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said? See, this is new. It hath already been of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of those things that are come, that are to come with those that shall come after. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. And God, I pray that as we, as we begin this new series today, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open. I pray that your spirit would do a work and, uh, and, uh, uh, illuminate this text for us, Lord, that we can understand uh, the significance of these writings and, and uh, the practical implications for our own lives. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
How many of you have ever seen something that just did not make sense? Can I see your hand? Just something that did not make sense at all. Uh, this week I was looking at uh, a list of signs that really uh, didn't have a whole lot of purpose. They kind of didn't make a whole lot of sense, kind of meaningless signs. And, and I brought a couple. The first one that I saw is a sign that said, library is closed until opening time. Thank you for the obvious. Uh, the next sign that I saw said, attention, please make sure the elevator is there before stepping in. That might be helpful. Uh, another sign, do not breathe under the water. Helpful tip. Next one, uh, made from ingredients. Very good. Uh, the next one, probably my favorite, wet when raining. Yeah, I think that probably is a possibility. And then the last one said, sea entrance. And uh, of all the places that you could walk into the water, I guess that's the one specific place that you can enter in. And uh, thank you, world, for these absolutely meaningless signs. And uh, this morning, as we begin this new series, and as we begin this study from the book of Ecclesiastes, we are challenged to contemplate one of life's most often asked questions, and that is, what is the meaning of our existence? Why are we here? What is the purpose? What's the point uh, of our existence? And a few years ago, uh, scientists from John Hopkins University, they surveyed uh, nearly 8,000 college students in over 40 different universities, and they asked all of these college students, what is the most important thing to you? What's the most important thing in your life right now about your education? What, what's the most uh, significant thing? And they thought maybe the answers would be to uh, maybe make a lot of money or to get a really good job that they enjoy or maybe to buy a home and then start a family. What, what's the most important thing to you? Well, 16% of the 8,000 college students that took that survey, 16% said that they were interested in making a lot of money. Well, 75%, in fact, over 75% said that the most important thing to them was finding a purpose and a meaning for their lives. And all throughout the history of human existence, we have searched high and low trying to answer that question, trying to discover our purpose and why are we here and what is this really all about? In fact, that is one of the most important questions in all of life. Really, uh, there are three primary crucial questions in life and, and they involve origins and that is where do we come from? Meaning, what's our purpose? And destiny, where do we go when we die? And uh, the book of Genesis helps us answer the first question of origins, where we come from. Uh, the book of Revelation helps us answer the last question, where do we go when we die? And Ecclesiastes observes everything in between. And so as we come to Ecclesiastes this morning, we're going to learn, we're going to challenge our thinking in, in really what is the purpose, what is the meaning of life. And to kind of help us establish the context this morning, would you notice uh, verse number one so we can see uh, who is writing this uh, book of the Bible. Notice verse number one, it says this, uh, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now the Hebrew word for preacher is koheleth. Everybody say koheleth. Okay, it's a Hebrew word, and basically it means a public speaker. It means someone who gathers an assembly, someone who gathers a congregation. And so uh, the connotation is a little bit further than just our uh, idea of preacher, someone that maybe preaches the scripture, someone that preaches the Bible. Uh, this word, koheleth, means someone that kind of gathers the people together. He's more of a, a philosopher or a public speaker. And the verse uh, number one says that the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so Although the preacher here does not reveal his identity, most uh, commentators and theologians generally agree that this was Solomon, that, that he was using the preacher as kind of a, a pen name or a pseudonym uh, for himself. And so this is Solomon writing, and, and it's, it's fascinating because Solomon is, is without a doubt one of the most interesting people uh, who has ever lived. Uh, Solomon uh, was the, the wealthiest man to have ever lived. He was the wisest man uh, to live. He 
uh, he had a lot of things going for him. In fact, he wrote over 3,000 proverbs, and uh, he wrote over uh, 1,000 songs. And so he had quite the impressive resume. And the Bible tells us a little bit more about Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter number 3, verse number 10, it says this, And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. He, what did he ask for? He asked for a, a discerning heart, and he asked for wisdom. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked uh, for thyself a long life, neither uh, hast uh, asked riches for thyself, nor uh, asked the, the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And so Solomon was without a doubt one of a kind. Very interesting character. The Bible tells us this in 2 Chronicles chapter 9 in verses 22 and 23. And King Solomon passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Okay, so he, he passed everybody in riches and in wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. In fact, just to kind of give you an idea of how rich Solomon was and kind of how much money he had accumulated, the Bible says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse number 27. And the king made silver in Jerusalem as stones. And so he had accumulated so much wealth and he had so much uh, money that, that all, this, all the silver in Jerusalem was just like rocks everywhere. He just had so much of it. He was extremely wealthy, extremely talented. He was wise. He had everything. But Solomon also had some major problems in his life. Solomon had over 700 wives. And in case you're wondering, that's 699 too many, Okay. And if that wasn't enough, in addition to his wives, he had 300 concubines. And in case you're wondering, that's 300 too many. And so Solomon, no doubt, had some problems. And so many uh, people have kind of compared, uh, compared Solomon to uh, a Bill Gates and an Albert Einstein, a Hugh Hefner, and a Brad Pitt all kind of mixed in together. That, that is Solomon, okay? So very fascinating, very interesting individual. And the Bible says this in 1 Kings 11, verse number 4, For it came to pass... When Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Everybody say other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And it's interesting because he was the wisest man in the world that turned into a lustful, power-hungry, greedy, idolatrous fool. Solomon had all the potential in the world, but he wasted that potential. And I want to tell you this morning that great potential does not guarantee great performance. You can have all the potential in the world and you can have all the greatest gifts in the world and have all the right people surrounding you and waste that potential. I was reading recently, ESPN did a top uh, 25 list of the most unfulfilled potential in, in all of sports. And number one to make the list of all of the potential there was, the most unfulfilled potential was uh, an NBA player named Greg Oden. And uh, Greg Oden was drafted by the Portland Trailblazers in 2000. And seven, and in fact, he was drafted above, he was drafted number one above Kevin Durant, okay? And so they, they drafted him real high, and they had big expectations for Greg Oden. And Greg Oden had big expectations for himself, and he said, I hope to win a lot of championships. In fact, he said, I hope to win 15 championships. And they thought that this was going to be the next greatest superstar. And before he even played in one NBA game, he injured his knee, and that knee haunted him over the next couple years so much to where the Portland Trailblazers just let him go. See, great potential does not guarantee great performance. Solomon had all of this wisdom. He had everything going for him, women, wealth, money. He had, he had everything, but he wasted that potential. And that's why it's imperative that we understand what the Bible says in 1 Peter 4, verse number 10. It says, as every man hath received the gift. Everybody say received. received. 
Receive the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so God can bless us with talent. He can bless us with a certain skill set, with a personality, with wisdom, with relationships. But it's our job to receive that gift from God and then make sure that we steward that gift for his glory. And so can I encourage you this morning, whatever gift that God has given you, whether it's wisdom, relationships, a, a, a great job, whatever gift that God has given you, make sure that you're using it for his glory. We, we can either put it to work or we'll put it to waste. And so Solomon here, he knows all about wasted potential. And most commentators say that by the time Solomon writes this book of Ecclesiastes, he is now uh, uh, towards the end of his life and he's kind of reflecting and thinking back on the meaning of life and what he learned uh, from his mistakes and what he learned about the meaning of life. And here Solomon is reflecting. And I got to be honest with you, as we start this study, uh, Solomon takes us on a dark journey. And uh, if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's very disturbing. And he kind of uses a lot of cynical language. And he's kind of just kind of negative. But he does this on purpose. And he writes this way on purpose because although the verbiage of the book is very negative, the overall theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is actually very positive. And so he writes in this negative way. And he writes in this dark way. And he does so to get our attention. He's saying, wake up. Life is meaningless. It's all empty. It's all vanity. And he's saying, uh, listen to me. Wake up. Let me get your attention here so that we ultimately can fix our eyes on on Jesus, on the coming Messiah, as what uh, Solomon is going to point us to. And so he's saying, let me get your attention. And he wants us to consider the absurdity of life without God. He's saying, let's think about life and the ramifications of no God. Let's think about the meaninglessness of Life. In fact, uh, John Wesley, he said that the grand truth of the book of Ecclesiastes is to prove that there is no happiness outside of God. Now, uh, of course, we can find uh, short-term pleasure. In fact, somebody asked me this question this week. And of course, we can find uh, short-term pleasure and we can find temporary satisfaction. And of course, even the Bible says that there's pleasure in sin for a season. And so, of course, that we can find some temporary fulfillment, some temporary satisfaction. But true, lifelong, and eternal satisfaction cannot be found apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Solomon is saying, let's think about the, uh, the idea of life without God. And really, there's only two, two uh, options for the meaning of life. Either there is a God and our actions do have meaning, or there is no God, and as author Ernest Hemingway said, life is a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. And so this morning, as we look to Ecclesiastes chapter number one, we're going to see some uh, truths that Solomon is going to portray, and I believe that in these truths and in these dark concepts, we're going to find uh, glimpses of hope. And so if you'll hang with me, we'll see the purpose. And we're even going to jump to the end and see uh, some of the hope that shines through in this book. And so uh, if you want to take notes this morning, uh, I want to give you four blunt realities about the meaning of life. Four four blunt realities. Number one, I want us to see the description of life. The description of life. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen? Notice verse number two. Solomon just comes right on out and he says it, verse number two. He says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, uh, whenever scripture emphasizes a term twice like this, it's it's doing so to get your attention. It's doing so for emphasis, uh, such as king of kings, lord of lords, holy of holies. And, And Solomon says, vanity of vanities, life is just all vanity. Now, why does he say this and what does he mean by this? I believe he means two things. I believe, number one, he means that life is fleeting. Everybody say fleeting. 
See, the word vanity is a very interesting word, and it's used more than 30 times in this book. And if you like to take notes and write things down, I would encourage you to remember this, because uh, the Hebrew word for vanity is the word hevel. Everybody say hevel. Okay, you're going to learn a lot of Hebrew today, okay? And uh, uh, it means hevel, and it carries two primary definitions. And the first definition for hevel means, means a breath or a vapor. And the second definition of hevel is, is meaninglessness. It's, just, it's empty. And so what is he saying? He's saying vanity of vanities. It's just all meaningless. It's all empty. It's just like a breath. It's just like a vapor. Life is here today and it's gone tomorrow. It goes very, very quickly. It, it's a breath. It, it, it's a vapor. And this theme is reiterated throughout Scripture. Psalm 39, verse number 5. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreath. In mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. James uh, chapter 4, verse number 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And so Solomon is saying, life is like a vapor. It's like a breath. Hevel. It's just empty. And I think that Solomon would use uh, maybe a balloon to describe this. And he would say, uh, that so often we try to fill our lives with, with different things, and we fill our lives with uh, the busyness of our work schedule. Let's see if I have enough breath to do this. There we go. He says, we fill our lives with, with work, and then we fill our lives with, with hobbies and recreation and raising a family and raising kids. And then he says, uh, we'll, we'll fill our lives with all kinds of things and we'll go to work, we'll do our hobbies and we'll hopefully make enough money to retire and just kind of live a few years of just, just happiness, of just leisure, of just kind of relaxing. We'll fill up our time with that. And he says, you want to know what it all amounts to? Hevel. He says, that's it. Solomon says, you want to know what life is like? You work hard and you put all this time and energy and you invest so much time and resources and then it's a vapor, it's a breath that just goes away. It's hevel. Life is fleeting. But also he goes on to describe and he's giving us the description of life. It's hevel, it's fleeting, but it's also frustrating. Life can be very frustrating. How many of you have ever been frustrated? How many of you were frustrated on the way to church this morning? Anybody? Okay. All right. A couple honest people. Life can be frustrating. Notice what he says in verse number three. What profit? Everybody say, what profit? What good is it? What profit hath the man of all his labor which taketh under the sun? He says, we, we spend years and years and we work and we toil and we labor. And really, what is the point? What profit is it all? We're all just going to end up in the grave anyways. And if we're all just going to go back to dust, what's the point? And he's saying life is fleeting, it's so short, and it's frustrating. We work so hard, but it's all just vanity. It's, it's hevel, it's, it's empty. Leonard Wolf, he, he wrote more than 20 books on literature and, and politics and economics and different things, and he said this, I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of, human, of the human anthill during the past five to seven years would be exactly the same as, as, uh, as it is if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on the committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make a rather uh, ignominious confession that I must have in a long life ground through between 150,000 and 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. He came to the end, he said, it was all just meaningless. What, what good is it all? What, what difference are we really making? And Solomon here is trying to evoke an emotion in us. He's being negative on purpose. He's being cynical on purpose. And he's saying life is fleeting and it's frustrating. 
We spend so much time doing all sorts of different things, and what's it really all about? Solomon had everything. He had all the money he could possibly want. He had all the wisdom. People were coming to him begging, tell us your wisdom, Solomon. He had it all, but internally he was so frustrated. Externally, he had it all. Internally, he was just so frustrated. Life was hevel. It was empty. Uh, this past week after Easter, we, we went to uh, uh, have an Easter egg hunt with our kids. And, and uh, we had Luke and Liv and, and uh, Blakely, and there was eggs all over the yard. And, and uh, we hit them everywhere, and they went out, and they were having a blast, and they were finding all these eggs, and they were putting them in their basket, and, and uh, they were just smiling, having a great time. And, and they collected all the eggs. They kind of came back together, and, and Luke was looking at his eggs, and I saw out of the corner of my eye there was still an egg that they missed. And so I said to Luke, I said, Luke, there's still an egg over there. Go, go, go try to find it. Go get it. And Luke ran over there. He got his eyes lit up. He was so excited. He ran over that egg. He brought it back, and he said, Dad, I got it. And I said, open it. And he opened it up, and it was empty. And he said, Dad, it's empty. Like, I tricked him. You know, I'm like, I didn't know. Sorry. <laughs> Dad, it's empty. I think that same emotion can often be found in our hearts that we work so hard in life and we try to go from here to there. And we're going all over the place. Our schedules are so busy. And we find out that it's all just hevel. We just feel empty. Can I ask you this morning, what difference does it make if your schedule is full but your soul is empty? He says it's all just Hevel. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 26. For what, pro what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? And so Solomon is describing life. What, how does he describe it? It's fleeting. It's frustrating. But I want you to see also not only the description of life, but also the repetition of life. The repetition of life. If you're still with me, say Amen. Solomon is now going to articulate the monotony of life and uh, the unchanging cycle of nature. Notice verse number four, he's going to talk about the earth. He says, one generation passeth away and another gen generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. And so he says, we're going to live and, and do our thing and then we're going to die. And then a new generation is going to come. And then that generation is going to come and they're going to die. And then a new generation is going to come and they're going to die. But guess what? The earth is going to stay the same. The, the earth is going to just move right along. Notice next, he mentions the sun in verse number five. He says, the sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to the place where he arose. He says, the sun goes up every day, the sun goes down. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. It just keeps on going. It's just repetitive. Then he mentions the wind. Now, we know all about wind in Fontana, don't we? Okay, so we can say amen to Solomon in verse number six. He says, the wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about into the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth uh, according to his circuits. And just to add to the randomness and to the monotony, he says, the wind is just blowing around everywhere. The sun goes up up, the sun goes down. The earth keeps going. The wind is just going everywhere. And then he mentions the rivers in verse number seven. And he says, all the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. He says the river just continually goes to the sea, but it's never full. It never fills up. And he's, he's talking about the idea that we just work and work, and it seems like nothing really ever gets done. Nothing ever really changes. Life is so repetitive. It's monotonous. Have you ever seen uh, the movie Groundhog Day? Anybody? Groundhog Day. If you've never seen it, Every day, Bill Murray wakes up, and it's Groundhog Day. And every day, he does the same exact thing. And every time he goes to sleep or dies, he wakes up, and it's still Groundhog Day. And uh, he gets frustrated all the time. He just tries to do new things, and he gets irritated, and he's punching people, and he's doing all these crazy things, trying to figure out what's going on, and life is just the same. Day after day after day after day. And the truth is, our lives are a lot more like Groundhog Day than we want to admit. 
We just do the same things over and over. We get up, we brush our teeth, we take a shower, we eat breakfast, we go to work, we have lunch, we come back, maybe we watch TV, have dinner, we go to bed. We wake up, we brush our teeth, we shower. Same thing over and over and over again. Have you ever considered the meaning and the purpose of decorative throw pillows on your bed? <laughs> it's like, why do we have those things, right? It's like we, we take them off, we don't even use them, then we put them back on. And we take them back off again, then we put them back on. If you put them on the wrong way, you get in trouble, at least in my experience. Why do we even have those things? And life is just so repetitive. We just go through the motions. And the truth is the repetition of life is exhausting. And that's exactly what he says. Notice there's an interesting word in verse number five. The sun also ariseth and the sun goeth down and hasteth. Everybody say hasteth. The Greek word for haste there is, is sha'af and or excuse me, the Hebrew word is sha'af, and it means to, to pant. It carries the idea of a runner running around in circles just out of breath. Isn't that how often we find ourselves, where we find ourselves in life, that we're just out of breath, just trying to catch our breath, and it seems like we're just going and going and going and doing the same things over, and we're just trying to catch our breath, and it's exhausting. There's always more laundry to do. There's always more bills to pay. There's always more dishes to do. There's always kids to take to school. It's just the same thing over and over and over again. Ernest Hemingway was a, uh, a writer that ultimately, I mentioned earlier, he was an existentialist and really believed that there was no purpose for living. It was all just nothing. And uh, this, this thought became so overwhelming that he eventually took his own life. But one of the most famous books that Ernest Hemingway ever wrote was a book that he entitled, The Sun Also Rises. And he took that title from Solomon in verse number five. The sun also ariseth. And, and, and born in that title was this sense of frustration. Like it just, life is just over and over. The sun goes up, it goes down. And what is really the purpose, the repetition of life? But I want to give you a little bit of good news today. Is that all right? Can I give you a glimpse of hope? The Bible says this in Romans chapter number eight, verse number 20. He says, for the creature was made subject to vanity. So we were born into this. We didn't have a choice. The creature was made subject to vanity, just, just to this emptiness, not willingly, but by reason of him who, had, who hath subjected the same in hope. Because, everybody say because, the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Can I tell you today that we worship a God who can deliver us from our frustration and we worship a God who can deliver us from our exhaustion and he can deliver us from the repetition of life. And he says, hey, I want to bring you from that captivity of doing the same thing over and over and the monotony. I want to take you from that and lead you into glorious liberty. We worship a God who can deliver us from the repetition of life, the exhaustion of life, the frustration of life. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 31, 25, For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Psalm 107, verse number 9 says, For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Can I tell you today, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you're frustrated, if you're weary, let me just encourage you, you can find rest in Jesus. Matthew 11 says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my uh, yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the only answer to the repetition that is found in life is the rest that is found in Jesus. 
And so Solomon, he's, he's taking us on this journey, and he says, consider the description of life. It's fleeting. It's frustrating. Consider the repetition of life. We do the same things over and over. It's just monotonous. It's a cycle. It's unchanging. The sun goes up. It goes down. It's all the same. But then he leads us to a, a third point this morning, and that's this, the attraction of life. Solomon is going to go on, and he says, it's human nature for us to be attracted to certain things. And he mentions two things. He says that we're attracted to uh, what's next. He says we always want what's next. Notice verse number eight. He says, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. He says we're always just wanting what's next. The eye is never satisfied with what it sees. The ear is never satisfied with what it hears. We always just want the next thing, always want something else. Uh, uh, Katie and I sometimes will we'll have a long day and we'll finally put the kids to bed and we'll sit down and we'll watch a show on Netflix. And uh, Netflix is so tricky because at the end of the episode, it'll say, do you want to watch another one? And it'll kind of come up. And then if you don't press anything, you just watch another one. And, and uh, every time we watch an episode, Katie and I will say, let's just watch one more, you know, just like one more. And then we'll watch that one. It's like 12 o'clock. Let's just watch one more, you know, just one more. See, we, we, we have this insatiable desire that we always want what's next. We just always want to be attracted. We just want, we just want to uh, have something new, have something that's next. I read that Americans spend $300 billion a year in recreation, always just entertaining ourselves and, and seeking leisure, just wanting to be attracted. The Bible says this in Philippians 4, verse number 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Everybody say content. Solomon says, the eye is never satisfied, the ear is never satisfied. But then he says, we always not only want what's next, we always want what's new. Notice verse number nine. The thing that hath been is, uh, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. How many of you have ever heard that phrase before? Nothing new under the sun. You heard that phrase? That's Solomon's words. Those are Solomon's words. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, there's going to be advances in technology, and yeah, there's going to be development in different things, but the reality is, is that the fundamental aspects of life never change. We're born, we live, we die. We're born, we live, we die. There's nothing new under the sun. Acts 17, verse number 21, uh, Paul was preaching in Athens, and it says this, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. The Athenians, they just loved information. We just got to hear what's next. Have you heard the latest and greatest? They would have loved Instagram. Uh, they would have loved social media. They said, what's next? What's, what's, the, what's the next? What's the newest thing? They, they love to spend their time and to hear the latest and greatest. And we have this desire uh, about us as humans to always want what's new and to always want what is next. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so that's where we ought to be going, and that's where we ought to be pursuing, is, is the righteousness of God, and then we will be filled. And I want you to notice one more uh, thought, and I believe that this last thought really ties this message together. Number four, if you're taking notes, I want us to see the contemplation of life. The contemplation of life. Solomon is going to tell us how he really contemplated the meaning of life and what he discovered. Notice verse number 12. He says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out. 
So Solomon says, I gave it everything I had to seek and to search out. I was on this journey to pursue this. I was searching out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given uh, to the sons of man to uh, be exercised therewith. Solomon tells us, he says, hey, I went out on a journey and I was trying to find the meaning of life. I, I pursued everything under the sun. I, I, I tried wisdom. I tried it all. I, I searched. I pursued. I'm trying to find the answer to the meaning of life. And, and that's what we're talking about this morning. How can we live a meaningful life? And so Solomon says, let me tell you what I discovered. I went out on this journey. I tried it all. And here's what I learned. Verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity, hevel, and vexation of spirit. That means chasing the wind. He says, I tried everything. I went on this search, on this journey, on this pursuit, and this is what I discovered. It's all empty. It's like chasing the wind. It's trying to have a nice wind collection. It's not possible. He said, I tried it all. Then he goes on, and he gets even more fatal. Notice verse 15. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. And that which is wanting cannot be numbered. Solomon said, life is like a crooked stick that we'll never be able to make straight. We live in a fallen society, a fallen human nature. And no matter what, we live in a sin-cursed world. And no matter how many prescriptions we prescribe, and no matter how many wars we start, no matter how many elections we have, we're never going to fix the problem of sin. Life is like a crooked stick. We'll never be able to fix it. Then in verse number 16. I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to the great estate. I've gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to wisdom. He said, I gave my heart completely to wisdom. I tried that. And then to know madness and folly. He said, I, I tried to live the right way with wisdom. And then I gave my heart to, to folly and madness. Then I just tried to live however I wanted. I just tried to live it up and party and just kind of do whatever felt right. And I perceived that this also, verse 17, is vexation of spirit. Again, he says, I tried it all. I tried to live the right way. I tried to live the wrong way to find this meaning of life. But it was all chasing the wind. And so at this point, if you're like me, reading through this, you're like, okay. We get it, Solomon. Okay, it's all vanity. It's all hevel. Chasing the wind. Is there any hope? What, is, what does all this mean? And I believe he gives us a couple clues that, that, that point us to a greater hope. And, and the first clue is found, if you notice, verse number 14. He says this, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun. Under the sun. See, Solomon was writing from a human perspective. He was writing from a horizontal perspective, from the ground level. He was saying, this is, this is life without God. This is life under the sun. This is what I can see from my vantage point. And if that perspective is true, it opens up a whole new perspective. And this is what I came to preach today. And this is what I came to tell you today, that although, yes, life might seem meaningless under the sun, can I tell you that we worship a God who is above the sun. We worship a God who is above the sun. He is in heaven. And so our, our perspective does not simply have to be terrestrial. Our perspective can be celestial. We can have a heavenly perspective on life and develop a new perspective to find what is true meaning. And the Bible tells us this in Colossians chapter 3, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Everybody say above. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And Ecclesiastes is begging us begging us almost every verse he's begging us to look beyond the ground level and to consider all of eternity 
It's more than just the here and now. It's more than just under the sun. We worship a God who is above the sun. We worship a God that wants to do new things. And you think, well, well, Solomon said there's no new uh, thing under the sun. But can I tell you that we worship a God who is always doing a new thing. And he wants to create a new heart in you. And he wants to make new roads and new rivers and open up new paths for you. See, God always wants to do something new in our lives. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Uh, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Revelation 21, verse number five. And, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Is anybody thankful today that we worship a God who makes all things new? I don't know what your past looks like. I don't know what frustrations you have and what exhaustion you have and what, what difficult questions you might want answered. I want to tell you today that God can make all things new for you. He makes all things new. He said it to me, right for these words are true and faithful. Solomon is saying we need, he's writing this way on purpose, and I hope you see it. He's writing with a cynical perspective because he's saying, hey, we need a savior. We need a savior to make all things new. Now, what I want to do as I close this message is I want to fast forward to the end of the book. How many of you have ever ever read a book and you skip to the end? Anybody like that? You wanted to kind of see how it ends? Well, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you the end of Ecclesiastes right now, okay? So plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. Ecclesiastes 12. Verse number 11, he says, the words of the wise are as goats, like a farmer or, um, or a shepherd who would take a, a pointy stick and, and, and poke the cattle. Why does he do that? Although it stings and it hurts a little bit, he's trying to get them from one place to another. And he's saying, these words, these words that I'm telling you, it's like a goat. It's like trying to prick you. It's trying to, it, it hurts a little bit. It stings a little bit. Nobody likes to hear that life is just empty and it's all just repetitious. And nobody likes to hear that, but it, he's trying to take us from one place to another. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies. Now watch this, which are given from one shepherd. Now, if you have a habit of underlining your Bible, I would encourage you to underline those words, one shepherd, one shepherd, because there are only three other times in the Bible in all of scripture that refer to a singular shepherd like this, one shepherd. The first is in Ezekiel 34, the second is in Ezekiel 37, and then the last one is in John chapter number 10. And each one, each time the Bible mentions this one shepherd, it's always pointing to the Messiah. See, what is Solomon doing? He's pointing us ahead. He's saying, yeah, all is vanity, but there is a Messiah coming who will make all things new. He's pointing us to Jesus. What is Ecclesiastes all about? Jesus. He's pointing us to the one that can make all things new, that can save us, that can bring meaning to life. And this morning, if you want meaning in your life, then look to the one shepherd, look to the good shepherd, look to the great shepherd, because in him there is life and in him there is life alone. The Bible says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And this morning, I want to tell you as we start this series that the meaning of life, meaningful life, where do we find meaning? How do we find purpose? We can only find meaning and we can only find purpose in Jesus. He gives us life. He gives us purpose. So Solomon is telling us, let's consider how empty life is without God. If God is not real, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter anyways. But there is a God above the sun. And there is a Savior who wants to make all things new. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.
so many practical implications that we can take away from this passage today. The description of life, life is fleeting, life is frustrating. I hope that you'll remember today that life is very short, it's like a breath. And so we need to make the most of the time that God has given us. Then life is repetitious, it's, it's exhausting, we do the same things over and over. And so that tells us that we need to intentionally pursue Jesus intentionally make the most of the time that God has given us. I hope today that above everything else that you'll understand that as followers of Jesus, we have a different perspective than the world. The world sees things on the ground level. All is vanity under the sun. But this morning, I want to encourage you to elevate your perspective and to think long-term to think about eternity, to think about your destiny. Where, where will you spend eternity? Where will you go when you die? Because, because that is the truth that changes everything. And Solomon said, it's, it's all about the one shepherd, the good shepherd. Hebrews says, the great shepherd. His name is Jesus. And he wants to have a relationship with you today. And that is the initial step to discovering meaning for your life, is to meet Jesus. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.